0: Now I am alone. Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I.
1: That
2: is not the case, for I would work with all my heart.
3: In every step I take, thou settest a snare, saying, Thus will I entrap thee.
1: The board did a review of the org structure renamed her position, she had to reapply, and you got the job. What's
2: the state of theatre in Australia? Why do we need theatre in Australia? What's the good of it? And in a world of KPIs, performance reviews, and justifying every dollar spent, who should foot the bill? I'm Angela Coterns, and right now these big issues are being debated between four experienced theatre professionals. So how would you describe the state of Australian theatre? Lee Lewis, Artistic Director at Griffin Theatre Company.
4: Well, I think the writing is amazing. The actors are incredible. Uh, Directors are exploring things that we're not seeing on stages overseas, uh, but the funding is abysmal.
2: Fred Copperweight, actor, director and co-founder of muglin the Aboriginal theatre company.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I think the funding is abysmal, particularly since last year when all those companies, the, a lot of the smaller to medium companies were cut and, uh, you know, that's where the grassroots level uh, for the bigger companies and, and that kind of thing, I think that's that was abysmal and that was outrageous because mm-hmm. that's where a lot of... New artists come from, and you know you draw draw from that. And if you don't have that, uh, then you've got there's no trickle effect up or you know sideways. But Fred, or didn't anywhere. you
2: say uh, earlier that your funding was okay, uh, Mooglin? Our funding and was Muglin. okay.
0: Yeah, we did we did very well. Yeah, we actually scored um, big time. But uh, at the same time, um, we had been we, this is our tenth year, and before uh, last year, we'd been working project to project, and none of us were paid for ten for nine years. So, um. This is a bonus, but we're not complacent because um, it allows us for the very first time to to develop a program, a four-year program, which is fantastic. And we've just done a project, uh, and for the very first time we had the money up front, but, um, you know, within the climate, uh, that money would go in four years you know so it's mm. you're never I think the thing is in, in terms of longevity you're never really secure.
2: Chris Mead, theatre director at Griffin and literary director at Melbourne Theatre Company,
3: do you feel secure? We're secure to the extent that theatre has been one of the you know mainstays of human civilization since the year dot you know since we put a hand against a wall and recorded the fact that we were there I think that we kind of forget uh, so often that, in, that, that performing with people is a kind of, is what develops our brain and, and, and is a way that as a species we survive and communicate and it's a non-zero-sum game. You know, we're thrilled by theatre. It doesn't do anything necessarily. We want it to do things. Oh, it
4: does do things. No, I'm not saying it doesn't <laughs> does it do, do, do things,
3: but I'm saying it doesn't have to do anything. It, it can it be well, fun, it, it is, can be educative, it, is the, it can be pedagogical,
4: it can be just silly. It's the thing that ensures that we have empathy as humans. It is our empathy machine and I think if you cut away the theatre, you cut away our way of speaking to people non-journalistically in ways that make us care.
2: Alana Valentine, award-winning playwright and board member of the Australian Writers Guild. I mean,
1: I've been doing a lot of work regionally and it's always really high stakes because they don't get a lot of funding. So every time they produce a new Australian play, they want it to work. But their audiences are being taught about what that, you know, looks like, what a, what a culture in the regions looks like. And I think it could be an interesting model for all, all of us to, you know, keep in mind that you can grow audiences as long as you bring them along with you.
0: I think that's great. Actually, that's a really good point because I've been working in Dubbo The last couple of 18 18 months or so with um, community and also just in town and there's such incredible uh, energy up there.
2: Alana, do artists have to subsidise culture themselves in Australia?
1: Well, yes. I mean, the, the truth is the Guild have just fought for a small increase in the writer, the riders' commission fee. It's taken us four years to do that. And when you look at the, the inflation and the cost of living, Sydney, for me, the second most expensive city in, in the world, <laughs> uh, you know, a small incremental increase. The Guild has, has fought for that. So it is, it's, in fact, riders are in pretty much the same position they have been for 30 years. Um, that's kind of of the, the the hard facts of it, and it's the guild who fight for them to actually um, increase that.
3: Mm. So who should pay? Uh, well. Um it's only really been since World War II that governments have become significantly involved in funding the arts. And yet we treat it as if it's become, you know, a, a commonplace thing, but actually it's really only a couple of generations. And it's a fraught, you know, genuinely fraught area. If government gets involved, then there's got to be a responsible spend of that money and it's got to, you know, somehow balance the instrumental benefits of that spend as well as the intrinsic benefits. Uh, and, you know, the company I spend most of my time working for, it's, it's less than 10% of Uh, subsidy that state and federal government combined, and and we rely mostly on ticket sales. Um, I'm not saying that's that's a great thing, but, you know, as a result of that uh, fact, the company... uh, MTC, at where I work, you know, believes very strongly in Australian work and about um, the legacy uh, value of that. And so we've gone to uh, a number of philanthropists and are going to be launching a very exciting new thing very soon. However, we get the money, we have to get the money because imagine, you know, if 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 you go to market with a, a new handbag or earphones or something, um, and it costs us one point five million to put on a show, uh, and it's often the case that we'll spend ten thousand on the development of that show. Now, any business person would say that's completely crazy. You would never go to market with that little research and development spend, and yet we do it all the time and wonder why they don't work. You know, we have to invest not just in the play. It's actually investing in the people because people make art and, you know, it's not brain surgery. We have to spend the time on the people so that they, you know, it's a craft skill working in the theatre. You've got to do it and do it and do it again um, and invest in that audience just as much as you are investing. In the people who make art for that audience. Is
2: there a culture of philanthropy uh, towards the arts in Australia?
4: There's a very beginning culture of philanthropy. I think we're probably about 100 years off there being effective philanthropy. Uh, When you look at the the philanthropic models, sure, but that that's the project because gradually government funding is just going to diminish within the next 20 years we're going to see funding for the arts disappear entirely so all of the companies are developing their relationships with philanthropists and developing a language that convinces individuals that if they want to be if they want a complex cultural life they have to pony up for it and then the question is how do we make sure that 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 the culture remains accessible to people that don't necessarily have the money to be able to Why afford it. Why do you it. say
2: that in 20 years' time government subsidies will end Look, t- I think to that, the art? I
4: think that it, it, there's just a cycle of diminishing funding for the arts and whether that comes in spectacular cuts like what happened last year under Brandis, or whether it's in the attrition the slow erosion cutting that was the three years before three years before those cuts Griffin had not received an increase that allowed us to keep up on a CPI level so that had essentially been a form of cutting uh, that was quite invisible and absorbed by the company and as Alana said we just we find ways to subsidize mm. ourselves. Everybody working in the arts works way more hours than is ever stated on a contract. Uh, they, uh, it, they props, they contribute consumables, they, everyone will bring in stuff from home, actors dress in their own clothes, yeah, I've got a t-shirt for that. That's a, this really invisible layer of subsidy that happens. I
3: blame the romantic poets for that. Certainly the idea <laughs> that there are just people who can exist happily in a garret you know, God reaches down and touches them on the shoulder and says, you are the child prodigy or the boy genius. And often it's that gendered. Um, and, and yet, of course, when you reflect on who those people were, they were mostly rich men from rich families. And yet that's not the way that art presents itself. Um, and we have to be alive to that.
2: Is it the role of the government to support the arts and theatre in particular?
3: Well, I think the argument is a very strong one for government because it's about accessibility you know if we believe that culture is important if we believe that civics are important if uh, you know if if we believe in the democratic project then yeah absolutely
4: I think government supporting accessibility is important and I think government supporting education is important do I think that they should be supporting all of these companies to the extent even at your 10 percent Chris no I don't I think we should be learning how to run the companies better and listening to the audiences and in, in investing our, the money from the successes into the works that we want to put forward that might not make the same kind of money. I don't think we're thinking strongly enough commercially speaking. I think we've developed a, de- a dependence on subsidy counteracting a truly – commercial possibility for some work I think we're burning through a lot of plays and not necessarily exploiting the and a lot the of the playwrights, lot lot of playwrights. we're not playwrights. we can have we you can have a really great play sit on the stage and then you move on to the next one as opposed to what can we do with this where can we take it and it's not that we don't necessarily think about it but all of our resources are focused on the next season and the next season and when we're not taking really great works to other places or not promoting I mean, has
3: you know very uh, strong conversations Conversations, robust and dynamic conversations with artists who leave the country and just say it will never happen here. That because we have no West End or Broadway and because the middle tier is so, you know, tricky and in a perilous situation, they just go forget it. There, there's no sense of growth here that, as Lee says, we churn through people as a, an appalling uh, failure of throughput, for want of a better phrase, uh, and we end up damaging our own industry.
1: On a hopeful note, I think that a lot of young playwrights... I mean, I agree with what's being said. I just want to say, for me, I'm getting this really exciting feeling from young playwrights about needing to sort of invest in, in what's going on in the world and for bringing their audiences along with that. And I think that one of the things that, that we can learn from them is is just to kind of have confidence that that, that generation will start to go, you know what... Uh, We've we've had this time where things come to us or whatever. Now we actually realise we've got to fight for it. We've got to be vocal about it. We've got to say what we don't like. And I think that's you know that's certainly a lesson your community you know yeah. has learned in yeah. a great way, Fred. You know you've got to just constantly draw a line and say beyond this I will not go.
0: Because we're I guess uh, uh, as I said we've got this funding, but our focus is getting private, you know, philanthropical funding. We, we want to be independent of the government and it's, it's given us a, a stay of time and it's got us over a big hump where we can, you know, have four years where we can relax.
4: The theatre community is getting much better at working together. If the first 50 years were this competitive uh, race to, to gather enough resource and infrastructure to not collapse when the funding disappears, now it's actually about collaboration a lot more between companies. And there's a lot more
0: companies now too, I think you know it's a lot more small, yes, you know. smaller little little groups that are around. I think a lot is
4: super small, but not in the medium. Not sector. Not in the medium, yeah. Like medium sector, that's been but cut away. But maybe this is
0: this conversation about yeah. how do they, you know, how do they get to that next level, yeah. and and how can they
3: sustain themselves? You know, it's a terribly fractured community, and it has been in the past, and. Um, I and- mean, go,
4: seriously. When last year with the funding cuts, when everybody was started to talk to each other for the first time and try to articulate one sentence that we all agreed on, we couldn't do it. Was it. it was actually a learning exercise, exercise in uh, in how how much we don't talk to each other and how much we don't agree. And if if the artistic community can't agree on what is important to us on a value level, then how can we possibly communicate to that to an audience of people who ostensibly are paying for us with their taxes? Probably needed a writer at that meeting.
1: No, no interestingly,
4: we went to writers to actually generate the language for what we wanted to say, but it was it was interesting how hard it was to wrestle down to even one thing we wanted to say. Okay. Well, what is the core
1: business of this thing? Like, you know, with, what's the core business of a broadcaster? It's actually making radio. What's the core business of a theatre company? It's employing artists to make theatre. So, you know, I'm, I'm not under any illusion about the realities of doing that in the 21st century but at the same time, is there a balance? has it has it bloated into something else that artists aren't being made available to? Well know?
3: I mean this is true to the extent that what an, what is useful for an institution is uh, stability and certainty and that's what an institution requires to continue and yet what artists bring is opposite, often the opposite of that. So it's, you know, uncertainty and chaos uh, and, yes, trying to find a balance between those two things is Under
2: tricky. what conditions do you think the arts and theatre in particular really flourish in Australia?
3: It, it's, been, it's, a, it's a kind of thrilling question culturally and historically as well. You know, somebody like Steven Pinker, for instance, um, argues that actually art um, is is almost surplus to, to what we do as humans to survive, uh, and we only do it when in times of excess. But, of course, you can think of a million examples where that's entirely wrong, um, and, and it's fundamental to the way our brains develop, uh, and that story is core to that.
4: I think we go through fluctuations insofar as the environment. I think we do flourish when we're persecuted. I think the voice of resistance comes up strongly, and I think... That's on some level what audience and government counts on, the fact that when you cut the money away, we will still make work. There's a sadness in that but there's also a ferocity in it as well and I think that we will keep making work as the funding is cut away but we w- but we've also learned that we to make it well we need to find support for the doing of it.
1: Well, I think that the theater is still a feudal industry um, as opposed to being a democracy I think that that we you know we flourish when we have a sort of benevolent dictator at the top who likes the arts. You know, I think that basically we need someone who takes a personal interest uh, in, in the arts and they, they they see it in all these dimensions and we don't have to argue for it and they say, I'm going to give you all the resources, if not the money, then the resources and I'm going to to, to empower you to do what what you want, I mean, it's a version of what. Has Lee's there been saying, anyone that you
2: can uh, recall in your lifetime who's been that person? Well,
1: who do you who, who do you say? I mean, it's. It, I would say it, Gough Whitlam. Gough Whitlam, of course. I mean, that's when the arts flourished. You had someone who 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 did that, and yes, I think there's been arts ministers since then, and certainly there's been state. Uh, Premiers who've taken an interest in the arts,
4: but it is petrifying when you have a minister coming in, uh, as the portfolios have been changing so much across federal and state in the last in the last few years. When uh, the, the reshuffle happens and you look at the biography of the person and you go, they've got no interest in the arts. This is a stepping stone. Uh, position for them towards something else. And you just go, how do I talk to this person? And you start all over again. And again, the fragility of funding, uh, and especially when, uh, coming from my point of view, when you're working in new writing, when those voices of the writers are antithetical to the values of that minister, you go, let's not bring them to that play. Let's wait till (laughs) we've got one that they won't hate. And you kind of go, that's Awful. It's actually awful and petrifying because, mm. like you said, Fred, you've got four years to find some other form of support. Four years mm. to spend suspend res- some of that resource on making sure that you're not dependent on that money being or adjust- there. Just
0: and then to justify yeah. yourself again. Yeah. the way
3: that so there's a, a, a extraordinary director from the UK in the fifties, and forties, and fifties, a guy called George Devine, and the, his argument for funding was: how do you take the trouble with the difficult dramatist? How do you, you know, work with art that's in advance of the public taste? Um, And that seems to be, you know, a, a kind of strong argument for funding. But beyond that, it'd be great to think that the stories themselves are enough to drive an audience to, you know, get out of their houses, to stop watching, you know, streaming services and to go, actually, I'm thrilled by live performance, whether that's a band, whether it's poetry, whether it's seeing visual art, but, you know, that they're thrilled by the idea of actually sharing the space with some real people.
2: Thank you, Lee Lewis, Fred Copperweight, Alana Valentine and Chris Mead. I'm Angela Caternes. Let's keep this discussion going and see you at the theatre soon.